Wow, good morning, and uh, thank you so much for, for everything. I, I just want to say I'm, I'm privileged and, and humbled to be here for this event. I, I love coming back here because of the history of this church and what this church represents for the work of the Lord and the ministry all over the world. And I bring you greetings from the churches in Albania, and uh, too many people say, say hi, so if I ask you, please say yes, I did tell you that. Uh, <laughs> But, but it's, it's really great. It's, it's really a blessing to be here, what, you know, the, the Lord would do this week. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for, for it. Uh, I want us to begin this morning looking at, at a message which I've entitled, The World Has No One. And there's three points that I, I, I want to make. That's the balance of a perfect message, uh, three points to it. And I do have a sort of a dry humor, so if you not on board with that, that's okay. But, uh, but you know, I, I could, there's a lot more things that the world does not have and that the, that the Lord wants Christians to, to use to, to reach the world. But I could only cover three points in an hour and a half that I have available. So I was... <laughs> and my first point is very simple. This, this will be my goal for this morning is that this message will be the base uh, for all the other messages in the in the conference, and, and and it will tie in with everything that we will see later on as as well. But the truth is that the world has no one to give them the gospel. And we will begin this morning in the Gospel of John, chapter five. We'll read a story. It's a very well-known story. In John chapter five. We'll begin reading in verse one. It says, "After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem." Now there is at Jerusalem by the market, uh, by the sheep market, a pool which is named in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then was first after the troubling of the water stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie, he knew that he had been uh, now for a long time in that case. He said unto him, Will thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. And while I am coming, another step of down before me. Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. This is a great story. Every miracle that Jesus performed, was, there was a purpose in it. And this story is, is no different. There we have, we're introduced here with some folks which have some uh, problems. They have health problems. And they don't, have an, they don't have any help. And in, in verse 5, we're introduced with uh, a certain man, it says, he was, which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. And this, of course, is a picture of the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel. Every story in the gospel where Jesus heals someone or he performs a, a, a miracle, it's really a story, it's, it's doctrinally speaking, it's, it's a story about the condition of the nation of Israel, the spiritual condition. So Jesus wants to teach us here that the nation of Israel needed healing. 
although these are real people, these are real stories, there's also a lot more than is there uh, as far as applications and what Christ wants to teach us through this than just a, a, a story about some, some people receiving healing, although, although that's literally what, what happened. But it's a spiritual condition of the nation of, of Israel. And we find the Lord gives us some details here about this man who had had an infirmity for 30 and 8 years. Of course, these numbers are not just there to fill up uh, words or to fill up the story. There's a point to why 38 years. Because in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 2 and verse 14, we're told there was 38 years that it took Israel from the point of Kadesh Barnea after they had left the, the Sinai mountain into the promised land. It took them 38 years to reach the brink of the promised land because of their disobedience. And in Deuteronomy chapter 2, it says, And in the space in which we came from Kadesh Barnea until we were come over to the brook Zered, was 30 and 8 years until all the generation of the men of war was wasted out from among the host, as the Lord swore unto them. And so this 38 years that this man had an infirmity, what Jesus is teaching here doctrinally is that Israel is sick spiritually. They're sick. They need Christ to, to heal them. They need healing from, from him. We're also introduced in, in Mark chapter 5. There's other stories in the Bible, and I quickly want to mention a few of them. I will not go over all of them. But there's a, a story, too, is a very famous story, Mark chapter 5. It says in verse 25, a certain woman which had an issue of blood for 12 years. She, too, has been suffering for 12 years. She had a, a, a physical problem for 12 years, and, and Christ heals her. And we see that, you know, uh, the rest of the story, we'll, we'll not read all of it, but Christ heals her of, of this, and she had been suffering from 12, for 12 years. And as soon as this story is done, in verse 34, and he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. The next verse continues, says, While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troubles thou the master any further? So while... He just healed this woman. Another one approaches and, 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 and said, you know, this, this daughter, this young girl had, had died. And Jesus goes into their house and he raises her from the dead. And in verse 42, when it talks about after she was resurrected, it says, And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. So 12 years before Two different people in two different circumstances began something that would lead them 12 years later to come to a point where they would meet Christ. Different walks of life, different circumstances, but they come to the point in their life where they have to meet Christ. And he heals them both. And of course, again here, the number 12 is not coincidental in in any of these stories, it represents the 12 tribes of Israel. It's, it's a picture, again, of the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel. But I want us to know that this story that we're looking at today is not just about the nation of Israel. It is practically a picture of our salvation. Jesus, is, Jesus emphasizes the healing that will come to the house of Israel as well as any individual that will put his trust in him. And the cry of the impotent man is the cry of the unsaved man that there's no one to help them spiritually. He says, I have no man, he says, 
to bring me down to the water. And, you know, I, when I was studying, I thought about naming this uh, message, I Have No Man. But then I thought it might sound too much like a country song, so I didn't. But, <laughs> the, <laughs> but the <laughs> this man has no one to help him. And that is the spiritual condition of the world today. The world has no one to give them the gospel. My point is that if Christians do not take hold of this responsibility, that it is not just our responsibility, but it is our privilege to be used of God to take the gospel, the good news to the world. Who else will do it? The world has no good news to give to them. The world has no gospel for the lost. This is the privilege of the church and the duty of the church to take the gospel to, to the world. The world, the, the lost world has no one to help them. If Christians don't get involved into re reaching to the lost all over the world, the world has no hope. Remember the story of the, of the rich man in Luke chapter 16 who died and, and went to hell. It's a literal story. It's not a, it's not a parable. And when he's there, he, he goes back and forth if... if he can get some water, he can get some, some help, but there is no help for him. That's the end of, of, of his chance to, to have done something with his life. But then he says he has a request in verse 27. He said, I pray thee therefore, Father, he's talking to Abraham, that thou wouldest send him, talking about Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into the place of this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. You know, I, I would agree with him in this logic. Hey, sure, send somebody. Tell them, he's, you know, I, I came from... From hell, I'm telling you, don't come here. He said, Send, tell, tell somebody, tell, tell my, uh, my, my brother not to come to this place. And Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible and the rest are the prophets. What he's telling him is they have the word of God. If they will not listen to the word of God, they will not listen if somebody rises from the dead and goes and tells them. By the way, somebody did rise them from the dead. And he did tell them <laughs> to believe in him. If they reject that testimony, there is no higher testimony that God could, could give to them. Christians have the privilege of having the word of God and taking this word to the lost world. Because the world has no hope unless a Christian takes the gospel to them. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, it says, For who? Soever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him on whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath, they, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. 
we can talk about all the ways that we can get creative, but the truth is that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If the lost world does not hear the gospel, they will not be saved. And who has the gospel? Who has the word of God if, if Christians are not doing their job? If Christians are not, report, are, are not responding to God's call to be involved in reaching the world with the gospel, then who else will do it? This is a spiritual battle. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, But if our gospel be hid, in verse 3, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of the world, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of this glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. This is a spiritual battle. The devil wants people blinded. The only one that can help the lost is a Christian. The world has no one else to help them. It will not happen otherwise. And how do we as Christians spend our time in relationship to this truth? I want to give you a couple of illustrations to hopefully bring it down to our lives and, and practical in our lives. When I first came to America, it was a few years after communism had, had fell. And, you know, if you don't know the history of Albania, Albania was a communist country from 1944 to 1991. But very harsh communist regime, uh, very isolated from the world. The dictator was uh, so, uh, so given to communism and, and its ideas that he, he thought everybody else was, uh, was not a communist. Like, you know, he broke ties with China and Russia because he didn't feel they were communist enough. So that, that should be a gauge to tell you where he landed on that. So it devastating, devastating effects on the, on the country, obviously. And when I first came to the States, the first thing that impressed me the most was choice. It, you know, everything here is about choice. You have, you have a lot of options. And, you know, I remember going to the grocery store and looking at the ice creams, ice cream aisle. That was incredible. <laughs> I, I must have spent an hour just standing there and, and just being amazed at what I was looking at. Because when I grew up, there was only one kind of ice cream. It was vanilla ice cream, but we didn't call it vanilla ice cream because there was only one kind, so it was ice cream. You know, that's, <laughs> that's all you had, you know? And then I come here and I, and I look at this, like hundreds and hundreds of flavors, and it was unbelievable. I was like, wow, this, you know, sometimes it's harder to decide what, what you're gonna get. But you know, I, I love that. I love the opportunity to have all these choices. And then the other thing happened when I went to the milk aisle. <laughs> this, I hadn't seen anything like it. This was incredible. Because when I came from, there was only one type of milk. It was cow's milk, you know? That's, uh, I mean, we didn't call it cow's milk, but it was, it was milk. It was, came from a cow, and that was it. And then I'm looking at this bot the, the bottles of milk, you know, 1%, 2%, 5%. I was like, what in the world is this? <laughs> What's the rest of it? Is why do we <laughs> Skimmed milk, semi-skimmed milk. <laughs> Condensed milk? Well, like, why would you condense? You know, it's a liquid. Why would <laughs> evaporated milk? Evaporated milk? What's in the bottle if it evaporated? 
I'm confused. I, I don't know what's, what's going on. Chocolate milk? How do you, how do you get that? You, you feed the cow chocolate? I mean, and it comes out, I mean, but again, you feed it grass and it's not green. I, what, that doesn't make sense. But the thing that absolutely devastated me, it was when I looked at a bottle and it said, soy milk. <laughs> this was unbelievable. That moment, the whole universe came crumbling down. <laughs> because up to that point, you see, I had lived my life for 22 years thinking that there was a correlation between the noun and the verb. That in order for you to get milk, you had to be able to milk the animal. <laughs> soy is a plant. <laughs> How do you milk a plant? What, what is going on here? <laughs> I look so confused. I, I wish I had a tape of that. You know, people walking by thinking, what's wrong with this guy, you know? But I was confused. So it's all about choice, you know? It's great. And then I go to college. I meet this, this guy making friends. And so we're, we're talking, you know, and he, he's asking me some questions. You know, he's like, what do you believe, you know, and, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm telling you what I believe. And he said, uh, uh, are, are you a conservative or, or a liberal? I had no idea what those words meant. I still don't, by the way. But, you know, back then it was more, more confusing. I said, I'm, I'm from Albania. He said, no, no, I understand. But, but, like, what do you believe? I said, I'm a Christian. I, oh, he said, so you, you're probably a conservative then. And I said, well, are Jehovah's Witnesses a conservative? He said, yes, yeah, they are. I said, what about Mormons? Are they conservative? He said, yes, of course, they're, they're very conservative. I said, well, I'm not a conservative. Then what's, <laughs> what else you got? <laughs> he said, well, it's, it's, it's the liberals. I, I don't remember the exact way he put it, but it's something about killing babies. And I was like, no, I'm not for killing babies, you know. But what else, what else do you have? He said, that's it. I said, that's it? <laughs> Two options? That's one more than communism. You mean, well, <laughs> where's the 31 flavors, you know, Baskin Roberts? <laughs> what happened to that? <laughs> you only have two options? You know, who you elect for the next four, two options? What? And, you know, it, it, since then, I've, I've learned, you know, to uh, appreciate people who are more knowledgeable than that. But my point in all of this, all humor aside, is that we as Christians waste too much time with things that eventually matter only in this life. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about politics. You know, we live in this world. We're affected by those decisions. I, I understand that. I understand that. But life as a Christian is not about what's favorable to us. Life as a Christian is not about what makes us more comfortable and what gives us the most privileges. Life as a Christian is being conformed to the image of Christ. And so, you know, I get very discouraged of friends wasting hours and hours and hours debating about politics and about things that don't matter for eternity. Sure, they have some bearing right now, but where is the passion? Does the world see that we believe that we have the good news? Or is it all about earthly things? We're wasting hours talking and debating with people about all these things that don't matter in the long run. 
Where is the passion? Does the world see that we have a passion, that we believe what we say we believe? Do they really believe that we believe we have the good news? When we're arguing with each other and we're wasting hours and hours in social media and other things, talking about politics and talking about all other things that are not related to Christ, let's understand that the world has no one to give them the gospel. If Christians do not respond and do not take hold of this truth, the world will waste without the gospel. My second point is the, wor the world has no one to teach them the truth. The story comes from Acts chapter 8. After the resurrection, of course, the early church, they were preaching the gospel, they were living their faith, God was doing great things in, in their lives and they had a persecution so they go out and, and they preach the gospel outside of, of Jerusalem and in chapter 8 we're introduced uh, to a man from Ethiopia. We'll begin verse 5. It says, And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. So all the disciples, they're, they're, preaching, they're preaching Christ. And so in verse 26 then we're introduced to the story. It says, And the angel of the Lord speak, spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goes down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Can Candace, the uh, queen of Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, who had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself unto this chariot. And Philip ran thither unto him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and sayest, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he should come up and sit with him. The, the answer of the man is, How can I understand what I'm reading? He's reading the Bible. And he's reading the, 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 the passage that talks about Christ. But he said, how can I understand this if somebody doesn't teach me? If somebody doesn't guide me, how can I understand? How can I make sense of this? This is the cry of a man who cannot get the truth, cannot understand the, the truth, unless somebody teaches him the truth. And the world has no one to teach them the truth unless Christians get serious about their responsibility not only to share the gospel, but also to teach the truth of the word of God. In Acts chapter 6, we read in the first verse, four verses, it says, And in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily administration. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them, and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, look ye out amongst you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They understand that some things just have to get done, and they are part of the body. It's the things that the body of Christ should take care of. But they say, you know, we will not... Uh, get our attention away from the prayer and the ministry of the word of God because without truth ministry doesn't make any sense if people are not taught the truth what will they do 
and eventually they will end up in apostasy as we have seen over and over and over again. Nothing can replace the teaching and the preaching of the word of God. Is it, a, it is a mission that God has given to the church. It is a gift, in fact, that God has given to the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, we read in verse 11, it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and impacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase in the body unto the edifying of itself in love. God had given to the church these gifts, and the reason is so we can come to the unity of the faith, so we can know the Son of God, not just in salvation, but know him personally. What is he like? What is his character like? Unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we be no more children. So we can grow up spiritually. So we're not tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine that comes by. Do you know what happens to churches that do not follow this biblical model? It's the opposite of what we just read. There's no unity of the faith. They are not joined together. They're not in unity together because of what they believe. So they end up talking about their feelings and about tolerance because they have no unity of what they believe. So they have to tolerate, learn to tolerate everybody. I'm not talking about being mean. I'm talking about being grounded in God's word and being grounded in the truth. If there is no truth, then what are we doing here? But if God's word is true, then this is what he has given to the church. The unity is, comes from God's word. We don't have to create it. God creates it. We just have to keep it. We just have to walk in it. There's no knowledge in the son of the Son of God. If, if, if they don't adhere to this model that God gives us here, then they don't know the Son of God because the result of doing this is that you will know you have the knowledge of the Son of God. I'm not talking about head knowledge. I'm talking about knowing him. Like Paul said, I want to know him. Paul wasn't ignorant of who Christ was, obviously, but he wanted to know it intimately. They're not equipped for ministry. They're fashioned after idols. They're not fashioned after God's word. They're spiritual children. They never grow up because the result of this uh, ministry that God has given to the church is that we be no more children. And if they're not adhering to this, then they are spiritual children. It doesn't matter what age, physical age they're in. They're in. They are spiritual children and they behave as children, spiritually. There's no discernment of biblical truth. They're carried about with every wind of doctrine. They're tossed to and fro. It is the same thing that, that the world does. They follow the trend of the moment. The world has fashion 
and you know they tell you this is what's in now this is you know the style so people follow the fashion well that's what happens generally in christianity what is in now what is what are what are the big evangelical leaders saying now they have no discernment from god's word they're deceived by crafty teachers because they do not have an absolute authority it is impossible to fool someone who is grounded in God's word because he doesn't turn on the TV to find out what what Christians should believe he goes to the Bible to find out what Christians should believe and the church will have no unity the church will suffer if they do not understand the privilege of teaching and preaching God's word James 3 1 says my brethren be not many masters knowing that ye shall that we shall receive the greater condemnation it is a responsibility to teach God's word and it should be taken seriously but the world has no one to guide them no one to teach them the truth and if Christians do not invest in learning and in studying the word and getting prepared and getting grounded in the word of God I'm not talking about everybody becoming a preacher I'm talking every about everyone having a relationship with Christ where you go to the Word of God and you find out for yourself what does the word say about this so you're not tossed to to and fro from every opinion that comes in and whatever is in in trend in fashion the world needs Christians to teach them the truth Christians who know the truth one of the things that really impressed me about Jeff when I first met him was that every I had so many questions but every question that I had he would say okay let's see what God has to say about it he would open the Bible and and show me from the Bible what God said about that I had I had no idea I you know at, at one point I came to the point like I can't ask him a question he doesn't know the answer to he would take me to to the to the verse now granted those were probably simple questions you know they weren't about tribulation and millennium and, and and all of that but it impressed me that someone could just for everything everything he would just open the Bible let's see what God has to say there was no debate between me and him I would either accept what God had to say or I would just shut up because this is what God says this is his his word and so you know I, I said I want to be like that I want to be able to lead people and say let's see what God has to say if they have a question sure it's not my opinion let's see what God has to say in context let's study the word together the world has no one to teach them the Bible no one to teach them the truth the world has teachers for everything else but they cannot teach them the, the Bible because it's spiritually discerned it doesn't make any sense to the lost world it unsaved people cannot teach the Bible correctly because it requires a relationship with God it requires the Holy Spirit of God It's not a matter of IQ a lot of intelligent people reject the Bible and a lot of intelligent people accept the Bible believe the Bible it's not a, a matter of intelligence it's a matter of a relationship with Christ the truth is revealed to us by God when we put our faith in him and we submit ourselves to him then he gives us truth and we respond to that he gives us more truth and we should get involved 
if you're not involved in learning the Bible. Get involved. You're in a church that has some of the best teachers and preachers in the country. And I say, say that without reservation. If you don't take advantage of this, do you realize that people all over the world would kill, in the metaphorical sense, to have an opportunity like this? You have it right here. Take advantage of it if you're not involved. I'm not talking about learning how to preach, although God will call some of you to be preachers. But God doesn't require that everyone become a preacher. He requires that everyone know him personally. And you need to have a relationship. If you have not grown in learning the, the Bible and getting grounded in the Bible, I encourage you, get involved. It will change your life. And thirdly, I want to say that the world has no one to lead them. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted, they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Third, the world has no one to lead them. Now, of course, there are countless seminars on leading and leadership and training and, and all those things. But there's a difference between biblical leadership and the world leadership. And no wonder Christians are confused today as what leadership is because most of the models that they know about leadership come from the world. And they may have sprinkled some spiritual truths in it, but the models are different. They're not the same. Recently, I had a, a student minister in our church organize a seminar on leadership, and I was invited to, to speak. So I found this list of a famous magazine uh, which, which had the, the top 50 most influential, influential leaders of the world for 2019. So I showed them the pictures of these 50 people who were the 50 most influential leaders. And I asked them if they recognized them and what their name was. And out of those 50, how many do you think they found? Just shout out any numbers. All right, it's four, it's close, but it is, it is four. Four out of 50. You know, and, and, and I was very surprised because obviously the, the magazines, I don't remember, Forbes or some, some other magazine, I don't remember the, the name of the magazine, but apparently their definition of a leader is it doesn't have to do much with influence. Because if, they, if these people had influence, these, the, young, the young people would know them will at least know their name and who they are. And so we confuse leadership because we're not given the right model of leadership. Biblical leadership is the influence of born-again Christians in the lives of others to bring them to salvation in Christ, to help them grow spiritually in being transformed to the image of God's dear Son, fulfilling Christ's mission for the world. That's biblical leadership. It does not matter if you hold a position of authority or not. It does not matter if you will ever teach a Bible class or preach from the pulpit. You can have an influence over somebody else's life for good or for bad. In fact, if we read Romans chapter 14, it's a, it's a 
chapter that Paul goes into to warn us about the importance of how we live our lives as Christians. Because he talks about the fact that even simple things such as what we eat or what we observe or, or don't observe, even these things can have an impact into somebody's life. And so our life either confirms or contradicts the way somebody is walking. I lived for 17 years in this world being lost without anyone telling me about Christ. And every single person that I met in those 17 years, they confirmed with their lifestyle and their words, they confirmed the road that I was in. Until I met Jeff, who confronted the lie that I was living spiritually. Our lives either confirm what people are living, whatever lie the devil has them in to believe, or our lives, lives confront them with the truth of God's word. Our lives have an influence. We shouldn't think that just because we're not preaching from the pulpit, we have no importance or no influence. We have an influence. And if we live not according to God's word, then we will confirm whatever lies the lost world is continuing to believe. If you're at work and you're surrounded by lost people, then your lives will either confirm or confront. We have influence. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter, at an older age now, he teaches them about what this thing of leadership is all about. He says, the elders which are among you I exhort, whom am also an elder and a witness to the suffering of Christ and also partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. That's what biblical leadership is about, being an example. Matthew 20 says, but Jesus called unto them and said, well, the disciples are, are, are arguing with each other, uh, who's going to reign with Christ when he comes into his kingdom? What kind of positions of authority will they have? And so he's going to teach them something about leadership. And he says, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so amongst you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever shall be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the, son, as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Christ gives them a completely different model from what the, what the world believes leadership is. They believe that leadership is you exercise authority. You have subjects under you. So you tell them what to do. You might be a, a visionary. You might have great ideas. But basically, that's how you lead. And Christ says, no, it shall not be such amongst you. If you want to be a leader, then be a servant. Matthew 15, 14 says, Christ says, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. The world does have leaders, but their leadership only can take you to the grave. 
It cannot take you beyond that. God wants us to be people of influence, no matter what our spiritual gifts are, to lead people into things that are eternal, that have eternal value. And the world cannot give them this to anyone. The world does not have the answers. Christians do. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 16 says, For the leaders of these people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. There are consequences to following bad leadership. But how do you tell if it's good leadership of, or, or bad leadership if you do not have a biblical authority? If you don't have an absolute authority of God's word, how can you tell if things match or don't match the truth? That's why it's important to be grounded in the truth so you can influence people in the right way. This is a list of uh, qualities that somebody put together of what leaders should be. This is in the world, not a Christian. But he makes a distinction between managers and leaders. And he says that leaders are not managers. Nothing personal against managers. Obviously, we need people to manage things, okay? But he says that managers administer while the leader innovates. The manager is more concerned about things being in order, everybody being in, in, in their place. That's management. But that, that's not necessarily le leadership. The manager is the copy. The leader is an original. The manager, he just learns what needs to get done and how to do it, and that's what he does. He, he copies. By the way, I'm not against managers, I'm saying. <laughs> but not a leader. The manager maintains, the leader, the leader develops. The manager is more interested in keeping things running and, and, and smooth. But a leader looks for development. The manager focuses on systems and structure. The leader focuses on people. The manager relies on control. The leaders inspire trust. The manager has a short-range view. The leader has a long-range perspective. The manager has his or her eye always on the bottom line. The leader's line is on the horizon. The manager does the right thing. The leader does, I'm sorry, the manager does things right. The leader does the right thing. But I want us to read God's requirement for a leader. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, he says, A bishop must then be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy or filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in, sub in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them that, that are without the, the lost world should have a good testimony with the lost world, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. Do you know why the world will never even look at this list 
as qualities of a leader? I mean, e you know, even if somebody didn't believe the Bible, don't you think they, they could look at this and say, well, you know, this is a good list of somebody being in a leadership position. Why would they not even consult this list? Because their leadership does not matter, is not connected to your character. They're not interested in your character as long as you do whatever you're doing for the leadership position. Your life, your personal life does not have to match what you're doing at, the, at your job. That's why they don't look at this list. And that is the exact reason why Christians have failed at influencing the world. Because we as a generation have failed in our character. That's why we don't have influence. This generation is so blinded to their condition. God describes this period, which is called, he, he calls the Laodicean church age, we see it. And here's what we think of ourselves. Revelation 3.17 says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. That's what we think of ourselves. We're good. We got the gospel. We got discipleship. We're good. We don't need anything. We're fine. We don't need anything. God's opinion of us is different. I'm talking about us as a generation. I'm not accusing anyone in particular. But I'm just saying us as a generation. The time in which we live in. How God looks at the state of the church today in general. Is that, is that we think something about ourselves. But God thinks something different about us. He says that knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This time that we live in, it says, for the time will come, 2 Timothy 4, that they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from truth and turn and be turned to fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. The world has no one to give them the gospel. I lived for 16 years in the South, Alabama and Georgia. In 16 years, the first five years when I went to college, I also worked part-time in a company that delivered medical equipment, people's homes. I was in people's homes at least two or three times a day. In 16 years, I did not have a single person attempt to share the gospel with me without knowing that I'm, I'm saved. But, you know, I have an accent, so there's your mission field. I did not have a single person in 16 years. Just because you live in a country where you think people have the knowledge of the Bible does not mean that people have heard a clear presentation of the gospel. They may have heard bits of pieces. They may have heard all kinds of things. But that does not mean they have been confronted with the truth, the pure truth of the gospel. That we are sinners. We are on our way to hell. And only the blood of Christ can save us from our sins. You may have people around you. They grew up here maybe and think, yeah, I'm sure they've heard the gospel. 
make sure they have. Make sure they have from you. The world has no one to give them the gospel unless Christians say, I'm willing to do it. I believe it is good news. Why would, be, why would we be afraid to share what we believe is good news? If you're not grounded in the word, let me encourage you. Get involved. The opportunities that you have here to get involved are amazing. Take advantage of it. Invest your life. And you will only then see how God will open doors and allow you to influence the life of others. Not only here, but around the world. And thirdly, the world has no one to lead them. It is the blind leading the blind. It may sound great, but all they will do is make their life better, hopefully, till they get to the grave. There is no hope beyond that. What we have is eternal. Amen? Let's take a hold of it. Let's be involved. And that's what this is all about. Missions is, is God's plan to reach the world. I know it works because it worked for me. And it works for others because it God, it's God's plan. It's not our plan. We didn't invent it. It's God's work. I encourage you to be here for the rest of, of the conference. There's some great things we want to look at. But thank you again. Jeff, would you come up and pray?